As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. After 63 years as a franchise, the Texas Rangers are the 2023 World Series champions. I got a smile on my face, Jack McMullen, just saying those words. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. It is Thursday, November 2nd, and we're going to recap it all. And it's all brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sports books. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, which it didn't, if you bet Texas Rangers money line, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. And terms and conditions apply. Jack, I'm fired up even reading the ad. The Texas Rangers are the 2023 World Series champions. Are you going to sing it with me? I'm going to sing. What are you going to sing? Can you take me higher, higher. to a place, <laughs> place where blind with... men see? I, you just embarrass me right off the top of the podcast because, like, I don't know the words. Dude, it's Creed. You got to know Creed. I know. Um, I figure we could lead with the most pressing baseball news, and that's that the Padres reportedly took a $50 million loan out to pay their players. Should we just do that instead? Yeah, we could talk about them in January. Let's (laughs) talk about the Texas Rangers. This team, the last time they were above 500 was 2016 when they went 95 and 67. It took a couple of years. There was a lot of bad years, including the last two, 2021 and 2022, where this team finished with less than 70 wins. 
They win 90 this year. They steamroll through the Tampa Bay Rays. They steamroll through the Baltimore Orioles. They go to war with their arch rival, the Houston Astros. They never lost a game on the road. And once they got to the World Series, they proved that they were the best team in baseball. I do not give a shit about the Padres' financial troubles. I only want to shower praise on this team that hasn't had a title in the existence of their franchise, and they deserve every flower thrown on top of them. So do you remember when my apology came to the Rangers? Like my eat shit moment on the Texas Rangers was about midway through the ALCS. I think it was game three of the ALCS when the series did shift back to Houston and Houston won all three or shifted to Arlington and Houston won all three in Arlington. But game three was when I had my moment where I said, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doubting this team. Because in April, this was the best team in baseball. In May, it was still the best offense in baseball. In June, guess what? It was still the best offense in baseball. In July, half the starters in the American League were Texas Rangers. They were good all year. They were streaky, but they had way more positive streaks than negative streaks. And what happens when they get to the postseason? They don't lose a road game sellouts everywhere except Tampa, but (laughs) whatever. Um, There was two games. They deal with the harshest environments that baseball can concoct a road postseason environment, and they don't drop a game. This team is special, man. And I want to shout out Chris Young. And I'm very glad that Fox shouted out John Daniels after Mm -hmm. it happened. Yep. John Daniels was the president of baseball operations. He was relieved when Chris Young was elevated and Daniels was an advisor to the Rays. And, you know, now he's kind of like a front runner for a lot of these openings and he may sit out for a year or two. It's kind of the James Click thing. But Daniels, he went through the shit with his team, man. He was with this organization for so long. And Chris Young referred to him on the podium postgame as a mentor figure to him. The Rangers are not here without John Daniels helping to construct this baseball team, particularly this offense, drafting Evan Carter, drafting Josh Young, signing Seager and Semyon, getting all these guys there. What did Chris Young do this offseason? What did Chris Young do during his baseball career? He pitched. He was a good pitcher. You know what they did this offseason? They signed a ton of pitchers. You know what they did at the deadline? They added Jordan Montgomery. They added a Raldis Chapman before that. They nailed it from the top down. Masterclass of a season, masterclass of a turnaround from the Texas Rangers. Couldn't agree with you more. Masterclass of a front office, absolute masterclass on the field, and an absolute masterclass again by Bruce Bochy. He becomes the sixth manager in major league history to win at least four World Series rings. Number one and two tied with seven is Joe McCarthy and Casey Stengel. Then you got Connie Mack with five. You got Walter Alston with four and Joe Torrey and Bruce Bochy with four. So they rattled that off. I think ninth inning managers with four World Series rings. And I think Smoltz said it. Joe Davis might have said it, but they said that's literally just like a list of the greatest managers of all time. It is. 
Bruce Bochy's a Hall of Famer. He's he's going in as soon as possible. He's one of the best managers of all time. Is he not the greatest modern age manager of all time? I mean, look um, at the names on that list. It's a lot of guys who are playing with plumbers as their first baseman, <laughs> with all due respect to the plumbers out there. So Joe Torre is modern era. I think Joe Torre is probably the greatest modern era manager. Um, La Russa had a really bad end, but Tony La Russa was damn good at his job. But he didn't Bochy's win the better than La Russa. Bochy's I think better so. Than La Russa. I think so. Um, it's between him and Torre. That's really the argument, and you can yeah. go back and forth. Thing is, Bochi ain't done. And the Rangers, the thing about losing a bunch of years is that you unload on the farm system. And by unload, I mean reload. Remember, yeah. it's still late at night. Reload in the farm system. Their best player might be in the minors right now. That's how much I'm obsessed with Wyatt Langford. They got pitching down there too, right? Arm, Arm made an update to his top 100. You got Rangers in there. That doesn't often happen with World Series champions. So this is the first year of many. How can we not call the Rangers the World Series favorite next year? How are they going to get worse? Jacob deGrom's going to be back. This team, this team, this team. If I'm not mistaken, I'm on SpotTrack, and SpotTrack eliminated the 2023 column in their payroll table. But I, I don't think I'm missing anyone. Do you know how many people they lose to free agency this offseason? It's really just Montgomery, right? Yeah, I think it's one. I think it's Jordan Montgomery, and that's it. And they probably re-signed him. Uh, price went up. True, but they still might re-sign him. I mean, how can, how can you let that guy go now? So here's the deal. you got... And think about it, too. Hold on. Think about it, too. Let's say there's four different offers out on the table. You don't think if the Rangers match it, he's not going to come back? I don't think they have to exceed anything. They don't. No, it's a it's a match. It's it's NBA esque with a restricted free agent. Like, hey, you get an offer sheet, your team has a chance to match it. I I think that's probably the way that Montgomery's going to go about it. Um, it was a South Carolina Gamecock. Like, maybe if the Southeast reaches out, I don't know. There there have to be some human elements to drag him away because in terms of a baseball situation, it doesn't get any better than going back to the defending champs where you know that you are beloved. And with DeGrom out, probably the day two starter because Evaldi gets opening day. Where's he going to go instead of the Rangers? Where would you want to go? Back to St. Louis? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. To the Yankees? The Yankees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. shave that thing again. Um, no. Scherzer's making 43 next year. DeGrom at 40. Seager at 35. Semyon at 26. Ivaldi at 17. Gray at 13. Heaney with a player option at 13, which he'll say yes to immediately. Leclerc with a club option at 6'2", which is nuts. But here are some of the guys they have pre-art. Ezekiel Duran. Josh Young. Uh, Josh H. Smith, Evan Carter, Cody Bradford, Grant Anderson. And then when you get to arbitration, Spores, Burke, Tavares, Dunning, Heim, Garcia, Lowe. It's everybody. They're it's back. Everybody. They have a shot again. When was your, like, come to your senses moment with the Rangers? Because I said mine was midway through the CS. When did you really believe that they could win the whole damn thing? Well, it's funny. When we made our first World Series predictions before the playoffs even started, I had the Rays winning the World Series. 
And you can clip me on this. I'm pretty sure I said it. I might just be patting myself on the back for something I didn't actually say, but I'm about 80% positive I said it, that the Rays against the Rangers was going to be the great wild card series. That if the Rays can then beat the Rangers, they have the nuts to go on and win the World Series because I thought that might be their toughest battle. And then when the Rangers move past them, I picked the Rangers over the Orioles, and I said this is the best team left if their offense is hot. And my one worry with them going into the World Series was the offense wasn't hot to end the season. I thought they didn't get off on the right foot, right? Because they were so streaky all regular season long. Yeah. So as soon as I saw that offense get hot, the only reason I didn't pick them against the Astros is because Astros fans bullied me and now they own me. But I would have picked the Rangers, but I got bullied. I'm soft sure, mentally. Man. I'm sure, trying to man. learn from it. Here's what you're doing. You're doing the 1984 thing where you go back and is that 1984? I think it is 1984 where you go back and you you slightly copy edit. Do, do you see how good I spin zone that? Because you're I really actually, good at spin zone. I actually yeah. picked against them twice. And that still came off like I believed in them the entire time. Props Good on you. Good on you, bro. Uh, <laughs> can we shout out Corey Seager, who just won his second World Series MVP? 2020 with the Dodgers, 2023 with the Texas Rangers. There are four guys now in baseball history with multiple World Series MVPs. If you think that's not a lot, it's because that's not a lot. And we're in an era where the quarterback of the winning team wins the Super Bowl MVP. Mahomes is probably going to win two or three more over the course of his career. Brady's got a bunch. Like, if you're a good quarterback that wins multiple Super Bowls, you're going to have four. Stetson In Bennett. The, Bennett, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Stetson, yeah. In the NBA, like, anytime LeBron performs relatively well in the finals, <laughs> he won finals MVP. That's just how this shit works. I don't know. It's AD's team, apparently. Yeah. This is a baseball show. Apparently. Austin Reeves' team. There are four guys in the history of America's pastime with multiple World Series MVPs, and two of them are pitchers. I'm going to rattle off four names, and this made my head spin when I realized this. Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, Reggie Jackson, known by his nickname Mr. October, and Corey Seager. That's a mind-boggling group to be a part of. And frankly, like when we look back on Seeger in a decade, I don't know how much of me is going to be saying, oh, one of these guys is not like the other. Who's to say that Seeger doesn't have a Hall of Fame case similar to Reggie Jackson? Jackson had the homers. Seeger, I, I don't know how counting numbers are going to work for Seeger off the dome, but this guy has multiple World Series MVPs. He is one of the best postseason performers of this generation. He will have signed a $325 million contract. He will have been a top prospect in baseball, a perennial all-star, a silver slugger. Th there's no flaw with Seager's resume, I think, in a decade. And this guy, I'm not saying he's all-time great, a la Jackson or Koufax or Gibson, but he's not the runt of the litter here by any stretch. I, I think that he can probably start holding a candle to these names once we kind of get to his Hall of Fame candidacy. He's 29 years old. It's perfectly okay to not call him a all-time great already. Right? He's not. He's not. But at this point in his career, he's a four-time All-Star. 
He's a rookie of the year. He's finished top 20 in MVP voting three times, including a third place finish. He doesn't have a gold glove, but he does have 170 career home runs. He's put up a 32 war, 873 OPS for his career. And when I said he finished top 20 in MVP voting three times, he's going to finish second this year. And with Otani not pitching next year, he is again going to be one of the front runners to win the American League MVP. He's coming off a season where he had 33 bombs, 42 doubles, hit 330 as a shortstop with 1,013 OPS. And he hit these 33 home runs and 42 doubles in 119 games. 119 games. The problem with Seager when you look at all-time stats is he hasn't been healthy for a lot of his career. He's only played above 130 games four times in his career. He's only played over 150 twice. So all we need is a couple of fully healthy seasons, which... You know, he's a big guy, right? This is a, I think he's listed at 6'4", 215. He's yeah. got to be 6'6". I mean, this dude is absolutely enormous. So let me let me run you through Reggie Jackson through his age 29 season um, because it's better. He had 48 career war at that point. So you know, noticeably better than Seager. But 32 war at 29 years old, he's, he's on track to be, what, 60 wins or so? Uh, if he continues to do what he does. But Jackson had finished top five in MVP voting four separate times. He had won an MVP, and he was a six-time All-Star at that point. So in terms of the true accolades and war accumulation, Reggie Jackson is better. I I don't want anyone to take away from this that Corey Seager is on track to be an all-time great because he's not. But he's on track now, especially with the clutch thing and especially with multiple World Series MVPs, to be in the Hall of Fame discussion. So when we are 20 years down the road and we're talking to our kids about the next multiple-time World Series MVP, you know, we're going to say Seager's name and they're going they're not going to say who? Who is that? They're going to know that that's a borderline MVP or at least on a Hall of Very Good track. Deserves every penny of that 300 plus million dollar contract. So for game 5, I had a feeling this might be the last game. So I wrote notes on every inning so we can relive my thoughts through every inning. Can I take you through it, Jack McMullen? Yes, real quick, overarching tip of the cap to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Could they figure out a way to hit in crunch time? No. But Ketel Marte was amazing all postseason. Corbin Carroll had his spurts. Alec Thomas had his spurts. Gabby Moreno had his spurts. There were so many guys that showed up situationally Kevin Ginkle, Freakazoid, Paul Seawald, new appreciation for those two guys, new appreciation for freaking Andrew Saulfrank, right? And Ryan Thompson. But shout out Zach Gallen, man. No hit through six. That guy put his heart on the line. He was so good. And it was a shift beater cue shot roller down the third baseline from Seeger that ended it. And here's the thing about the Rangers. They move so quickly. So as soon as that ended, the wheels didn't fall off, but like the bus slowed enough for them to hop on the back, climb in, and take out the driver. But Gallon, man, like tip of the cap to Zach Gallon, tip of the cap to the Diamondbacks for the hell of a year that they had. Third straight World Series with a pitcher 
throwing at least a five-inning no-hit bid. Gallon, Javier in 22. In 21, was it Freed? Ian Anderson. (laughs) Don't laugh. Maybe he makes a comeback here. All right, Um, let's go through the first inning. Zach Gallon getting out of the first inning with no runs I thought was huge because what has been his kryptonite this entire World Series run? It was the first inning. We've seen it in almost every start. So I even wrote down, I bet Gallon throws a no-hitter. I swear I wrote that down. I can send you my Google Doc. I said, Zach Gallon getting out of the first inning with no runs is huge. I bet he throws a no-hitter now. Shut up. No, I, I swear I wrote this down. Obviously, uh, it makes me look good, but he didn't actually throw a no-hitter. Can't be doing but, this. But it wasn't just getting out of the first with no runs. His command has been a little spotty, right? And what's Gallon known for? We've said it 50,000 times on the podcast. You've heard it 50,000 times on the broadcast. Fastball command, that he's got command of five pitches. They're all plus. Nothing is elite. But when he can put the ball wherever he wants, he can be diabolical. So when he didn't miss a spot in that first inning and just went through these bats like clockwork, right? He didn't work around Seager. That was coming out of Tori Lavella's mouth that we have to. That was a mistake by me. We got to work around him. Went right after him. Went right after Marcus Semyon. And it goes right after Evan Carter. Bang, 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 out of the inning. It was good to see Corbin Carroll being aggressive, right? He gets on first base. That was his first stolen base of the World Series. He stole 54 in 2023. There was no reason throughout this series why he shouldn't be going more often. I felt that was my one pitfall, my one disappointment from the Arizona Diamondbacks. You could say, well, you were disappointed in their offense not showing up, like, I knew that this wasn't an electric offense. This offense runs off speed about just getting that base hit. While they didn't get the base hit, sometimes you can't control that. You can control your aggressiveness on the base paths, and I feel that they didn't do it, but he got off to a great start. And also in the, in the I don't know if this was the first inning, but I got a DM, um, and it reminded me, It's so hard to believe that Christian Walker did not have a home run in the entire postseason. 36 home runs in the regular season. The best power hitter on the Diamondbacks by a sizable margin did not hit a home run, not just in the World Series, in the entire postseason, but he did get a gritty walk to start us off. And that was the first inning. Evaldi was in and out, didn't look quite as sharp as we're used to, but as soon as it starts getting close there, he shuts the door. Yeah. My gallon thought was he didn't have command of the first two, or at least he was pitching very cautiously to the first two, Semyon and Seeger. I didn't have a ton of, oh, wow, gallon has got it tonight. I didn't have that thought until he got rid of Seeger. And as soon as he got rid of Seeger, I was like, okay, go time now. That's why I wrote it down. Obviously, I overreact on everything I say. Like, that was a complete overreaction typing. Like, Zach Allen's going to go throw a no-hitter after the first inning. But it was just that was so big for him. And as soon as that happened, I thought to myself, I think the Diamondbacks are going to win this game. The the comfort, I'm with you. I thought after the 13-pitch second, no, it was 13 pitches in the first, seven pitches in the second, 
seven in the third. Then what was it? Five in the fourth? Like it was ridiculous. The stretch ridiculous. That he went yeah, I even wrote down another easy inning for Gallon. Rolling early, doesn't even need strikeouts. It's all weak contact. So that was my thing. Once I saw the seven-pitch second, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's got it. And then the seven-pitch third on the heels of that, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's got it. But not to jump the gun on your notes, like during that time, Eovaldi was dealing with foot traffic constantly. And what was he doing constantly? He was making pitches when they counted and he was putting them in the right spot and he was deploying the right pitch in his arsenal. He was so good. Mike Maddox called him a traffic cop when he was talking to Verducci postgame. And that's what Eovaldi was, man. He was bending, not breaking, while Gallon was not breaking a sweat. So consistent for him. And I kept writing it down. Eovaldi does not look quite as sharp, but looks like the sharpest knife in the drawer when runners are on base. Like, I think a lot of people are going to bag on the D-backs for not hitting with runners in scoring position, right? I think, you know, it's further down in my notes, but they were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position by like the fourth or fifth inning. But really, Eovaldi was perfect with runners on base. He settled down and was immediately amazing. There was a spurt there like the third through the fifth inning, whenever the runner got on base, the next batter struck out and they were perfect pitches. And what I always like to do, right? When I say a guy's not missing his spot, watch the catcher. Eovaldi did not miss the catcher when there was runners on base. Jonah Heim would put his glove up and it would smack it every single time. So you could say, Diamondbacks, we got to score runs. We got to score runs here. I don't think any offense on planet Earth could hit what Eovaldi was doing with runners on base. So when I'm watching Eovaldi, I'm like, I'm not really blaming the Diamondbacks here. They are getting a perfect, perfect execution from a pitcher with runners on base. It could not get better than what Eovaldi was doing. So on the game... Arizona was 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. They left 11 men on base. Felt like that all happened in the first five innings of this game. Yeah. All of it. They have struggled all series long with runners in scoring position, particularly when the series shifted back to Arizona. But, man, (laughs) damn. There's nothing they could do today. Yes. I think you can have the shoulda, coulda, woulda moments in previous games. No doubt. I think I, I think it was game one where Arizona just stranded a bunch. And like this one, I just, I can't I can't turn this into an indictment on the Diamondbacks offense as much as a testament to Nathan Eovaldi. The way he was pitching with runners on base was like Christian Javier during the no-hitter. Yeah. Was like Gallon was like Wheeler, was like all the way back to like right. Roy Halladay. It's like, show me it was, the pitch, it was just tell me perfect. what's coming and I yeah. can't. Yeah. It was a flick of the glove. It was, I'm going to throw this in this exact spot and I dare you to hit it. And sometimes like guys holding big wooden sticks just can't hit it. And that's what I took away from the Evaldi start. It was less an indictment on the Arizona Diamondbacks offense 
and more straight perfection from Nathan Eovaldi. But as we move forward into the third and fourth inning, Gallon's misses, minuscule, right? His only like misses were maybe a ball off the plate. Or like he just missed the corner. It was nothing like there wasn't a ball that flew over or, you know, stupid pitches. It was a tunneling masterclass. This guy at this point of the game threw in like the third and fourth inning. I looked at his pitch usage chart. 85% of what he was throwing was forcing fastballs and knuckle curves. What is Zach Gallen known for? Having an array of pitches, being able to throw them whenever he wants. Of course, he's still sprinkling the change up and he's throwing his other pitches. But this was up top four seamers and disgusting knuckle curves. And he could throw both of those pitches wherever he wanted to. It was basically, he was just copying John Gray, right? This is a copycat league. You know, you see your opponent in John Gray masterclassing. Maybe you copy him. Of course, I'm joking. Gallon was superb, better than Kelly. I mean, this was this was what Merrill Kelly did with better stuff. This was perfect. Wow. Um, in the third inning, Gabriel Moreno was bunting. This team is just trying to get the lead early. They were seven and zero this postseason when they score first. Uh, Marte tried in the first inning, and then Moreno did it. But you ran into Nate, big game Nate. Walker strikes out, fam ground out, and I wrote out, good luck, Diamondbacks. That was your inning. At this point it. in the game, D-backs hitters were 0 for 7 with a walk and a sacrifice bunt with runners in scoring position through three innings. I got a text. Uh, Walker looks lost at the plate. I was like, couldn't agree more. So funny because the the couple of games before, he, he was what he was four for seven over his he, previous he was, two games. He was getting hot. That's why I don't. I didn't think he looked lost. He got Nate Eovaldi'd. Like better pitching beats better hitting. Is anyone surprised? I could tell Marte, right? The hit streak didn't last. That's the hottest hottest <laughs> hitter on planet Earth. That thing going, yeah, make it. But black. that that was the beauty of Nathan Eovaldi. Like Gallon had the better start, but there was no better pitching than Eovaldi with rudders on base. Yeah, but Gallon didn't have to do it. Exactly. So you know what Gallon I mean? had the better start. Yeah. But I was saying that like it was perfect. In the moment, it's crazy. It's crazy. It was perfect. And this was such an entertaining game. Um, we go to the fourth inning, Geraldo Perdomo diving play. Sick. He's such a good play. He is he is Jorge Mateo. Edmundo Sosa like he's always going to have a job in the big leagues oh yeah because of speed and defense he's like everything Kevin Newman wishes he was <laughs> but here's the thing like <laughs> Perdomo supplies a bit more offensive I don't, I don't want to say firepower because like I wouldn't call what he does firepower he, I would I'm a Perdomo guy now I am I'm a Perdomo Why are guy, you a Perdomo guy now He's just... I was a Perdomo guy on May 1. <laughs> but he's not giving you bad at-bats. No, he's not. He's not. And I, you got, you know I'm an at-bat guy. <laughs> like, you can get out, but if you put up a good at-bat, I'm going to start liking you. And I didn't feel that Geraldo Perdomo was putting up bad at-bats this entire series. There was many other Diamondbacks hitters putting up bad at-bats. I... And then maybe even getting a hit or getting out. 
he was always a consistent good AB at the bottom of the lineup, and he was a big reason why they were even here. And I agree with you entirely. I don't think that he is ever an all-star again, but... Uh, you're a hater. Yeah, he is. He's making <laughs> I think my that, ballot next year. I think that he is one of the better third middle infielders in baseball, or you're not losing sleep if he turns into a platoon shortstop or an everyday shortstop. I think the Diamondbacks are very lucky to have him. Should he take ABs away from Jordan Lawler next yes. April? Yes. No. What? No, he should. What are you talking about? Just because Aram ranked him six, now we got to give Jordan Lawler ABs when Perdomo is the best player on the D-backs? God, I need you to cool it with the propaganda. <laughs> I'm just spin zoning everything right now. <laughs> Perdomo, yeah, Perdomo is an elite defender, and he provides enough offensive value to have a spot in the big leagues for the next 10 years. And you got to remember... Geraldo Perdomo is a very young baseball player. Is he 22 years old right now? No, I think he's 24. Oh, Jordan Lawler or Perdomo? Perdomo is, I think, 24. Yeah, 24. Oh, he's a young 24. He just turned 24. Um, You know what the Diamondbacks should do? Now, I don't know if the Yankees would accept this, but they should probably trade Jordan Lawler to the Yankees maybe you get back like a... You know what they should do? They should trade Carroll, Lawler, and Thomas in a three-package deal for, mm. I'd say, Austin Wells. Is Severino. Enough. Severino bounce back here. Yeah, I think he's not on the team as of right now. Maybe I think he's swirling in there in the free agency either. I'd be willing to give up Michael King if we they could sign him. and trade. Take right, me to the fifth or sixth, whichever inning's next. Shut the hell up, bias Yankee fan me. Let's get back to the game. So, Perdomo, incredible diving play. Seager, immediate ground out. Carter strikeout, 35 pitches through four innings. Crazy. I just wrote down, ha, 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 this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was the cruise control moment. I think that's when y- you checked back in. And you know how it's like, I don't know, you you have like a status meeting. If you're working on a task that is a month long, you you have that, you know, weekly check-in. Like this was the check-in after the first week. It's hey, how's everything going? And the thought in your mind is, what do you mean? Like the little Lucy Vert meme, like, I just got here three days ago, or this is only <laughs> my third day out here. I don't know. Like it's that kind of thing. I if you checked in with me, it was like, How do you think the game's going at this point? I'm like, it just fucking started. Like, I don't know. What you were saying, that reminds me of that meme. Have you ever seen that where that guy, uh, he's at like some barbecue or something and some like reporter, or I don't know if it's a barbecue, it's some rally, it's somewhere. And the reporter comes up to him. He's like, how many genders are there? And he goes, I don't know. I just got here. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) That's funny. Um, But no, it was just, I think that was the point where, yeah, we're about halfway home in this ball game. It didn't feel like it at all. I was like, something needs to happen. Like we, we've been we've been in such a good situation. And I think that's when my shoulders got tense and they were just gonna stay there until something really happened. And it still took a minute after that. In the fourth inning, Joe Davis said something that really made me smile. Eovaldi made his debut with the Dodgers at Chase Field, and now he has a chance to win the World Series on the same mound. I thought that was really cool. So I watched the highlights i think mlb network put them out on instagram yesterday i watched the highlights of eovaldi's major league debut with vin scully calling it 
And so Vin, cool. it, you know, first guy, like first time a guy plays when he makes his big league debut, what happens? Everybody learns how to pronounce his name. The E-O-V is pretty hard. And you hand it to Vin Scully. He's like, he's going to make it sound really good. And he's like, Eovaldi every time. Nathan Eovaldi. It was really good. So I enjoyed those highlights. I wrote down Duck Fart from Longo. Just a veteran savvy hit from him. Duck Snort, not Duck Fart. (laughs) No, a Duck Fart. Have you heard of a Duck Fart? I've heard of a Duck Snort. No, it's a Duck Fart. That's like a blue pit. Duck snort? That's never been said in the history of baseball dugouts. Duck snort's a thing. No. No. Okay. MLB.com article. Initially, the phrase was duck fart. Yes. Seriously. It is now duck snort. Am I an old head? Yes. No, it's duck fart. Um, But then vintage big game Nate punches out Perdomo on a painted fastball outside corner. That might have been the best pitch of the game. It's gross. It's disgusting. Move on to the fifth inning. Usage for fastball and curveball up to 86%. I wrote down walk to Nate Lowe. Stinks because he owns Nate Lowe, but he is still so dialed. Five no-hit innings for Gallon. And then we get to the big inning. And this is where I felt the Diamondbacks lost the game. And now it was still close for the rest of the game, but you knew that big inning was coming from the Rangers. And the Diamondbacks needed a big inning of their own. Its bases loaded. Lordy Scurriel Jr. walks up to the plate, who already got a base hit in his first AB. And this is a guy who came in, who was 7 for 18 with two bombs and five RBIs against Nathan Eovaldi in his career. What does he do? Nathan Eovaldi gets him instantly to ground out. Sucks the air out of Chase Field. That, you know, I always do this. Whether it's smart or not, I wrote game over, Rangers win. Did you have that same feeling? No, because Gallon was so good at that point. You but can you have that tough. feeling, but then you remember that Gallon was through five no hit at that time. The way I was feeling at that point was it's not going to be Gallon to blow it. But Paul Seawald, former Mariner, and no. I was like, so the way that I kind of viewed it was, all right, we've officially turned this thing into a bullpen decision game. And come on, head to head, eighteen bullpen versus eighteen bullpen. The thing is, the Rangers' offense, and the only reason I'm saying this because I wrote in my article when I made my picks for the morning, and I said the Diamondbacks' bullpen is great. And I even wrote down Kevin Ginkle will get his scoreless inning. Yes. But there's nobody in there that the Mariners or the Mariners that the Rangers can't hit. There's nobody in there, right? They are better arms than the Rangers have. But what? I mean, you could be the greatest pitcher on earth. Taking the Rangers are gonna have the inning. So and it's gonna come. Yeah. Taking you into my thinking. Gallon at that point was through five no hit. He was going to give them at least one more inning because the pitch count was so ridiculously low. So I thought, all right, if Gallon takes them through six, my area of concern could be the seventh with Thompson, but you assume in a must-win game, they extend Ginkle. So Thompson starts it, base runner, you go to Ginkle. Ginkle takes you through the eighth, then you go to Seawald. 
my thinking on the other side was we're going to see a Raldis Chapman in this game. <laughs> and we're not like, I don't want to jump the gun on the Chapman experience, but it is truly an experience when a Raldis Chapman was on the Hill this year. And I thought, okay, if we're looking at a zero zero game, which I deemed likely when Araldis Chapman gets the ball, I feel like this series is going back to Arlington. And it didn't. It didn't. Um, going into the sixth inning, Rangers trying to get to the fastball early off gallon. It ain't working, right? They were being super aggressive. Perfectly located, immediate ground out for Leody Tavares. I think in the sixth inning, was that his first 3-0 count of the night to Travis Jankowski? I wrote that down and didn't fact check myself because I just don't remember another 3-0 count in that entire game. Probably. Now, maybe you can look it up for me, but that's what I wrote down. But then what does Gallon do? Immediate strike, fly out. And I wrote down, it's easy for him. I am officially mesmerized. And at this point in the game, no team had a hit on a non-fastball yet. So the secondaries, and Smoltz was talking about this on the broadcast, were so effective for both pitchers. And I was going to say especially Gallon, but I mean, so was Ivaldi. These guys were just masterful. I mean, this was one of the best dueling pitching performances that we've seen in a very long time. But I looked it up. I was like, when was the last time we got dueling six inning shutouts? And I don't know if this was the last time, but I thought I'd bring up this example because it's very pertinent to the situation. Hmm. Game two, 2011 world series, Texas Rangers versus the St. Louis Cardinals, Colby Lewis and Jaime Garcia, both spun six, scoreless innings the Cardinals ended up winning that game but the Rangers got their revenge in this one and we have to have a talk so we've been tagged on Twitter multiple times asking to remove the David Fries call no and Rangers fans I'm sorry it's one of the greatest calls I've ever heard it gives me chills every single time it has nothing to do with your team it's just about the call. And we will see you tomorrow night. And he goes silent. I miss Joe Buck a lot. I'm a Joe Buck's my favorite announcer I've ever heard. I can't take it out. So I can't take it out. But you're still World Series champions, regardless of whether we take out that call. Yeah. But it, it's my favorite call of all time. When we were talking about the intro for the pod. I said it has to be in there. It's my favorite call that's ever been. There were two like musts in there. We were talking about the intro to the pod. This was March of 2021 when yep. we first started this thing. And um, I said, hey, I'm grabbing some files for an instrument. Like I'll throw some game calls over an instrumental and that'll be our intro to the podcast. And you said, can we have the David Freeze? We will see you tomorrow night call in there. And it's cool because there's some sentimental value there too. Joe Buck said, same thing tried same cadence as maybe his dad's most famous call of his life. Jack Buck said the same exact thing for a different Homer. Um, so yours, your mandate was the David freeze Homer. Mine was bonds is from Dwayne Kuyper. And it was like, all right, those two are going to be in there forever. And here's the thing, like the slam Diego, the, the Otani one, those are up for discussion. Those, those are up can for discussion. Actually, Tawny San has to be in there, but I love how it goes. Welcome to Slam Diego. And then it like, that's, 
that's not the greatest call of all time, but I just love that being the last thing you heard. But I agree. We can do, you know what? Tag us on Twitter. I want to hear some of your guys' favorite calls because we made this in 2021 before we had anybody listening to the show. Shout out the early listeners. I think the first one was like 15 listens. It was ridiculous. It was so awesome. When I was at Citizens Bank Park, I met someone who listened to us when we were projected plate. Yeah, and wow. it was a real full circle moment. So that's correct. Shout out the early listeners and definitely tag us on Twitter with any calls that you guys think that we should edit in because we could just make it longer. Yeah. Right. It's a sick intro. <laughs> getting back that. on getting back on track. Um, there was one three ball count before the low walk, and that was to Evan Carter in the fourth inning. Evan Gallon, Carter, of course. Gallon did not get to a three ball count against anybody but the rookie, the 21 year old in the fourth inning. And Adolis Garcia's replacement in Travis Jankowski. Yes. Um. So we move on to the seventh inning. You and I, you texted in the group chat. It was so funny. I wrote down the same exact thing. Joe Davis goes after a couple of base hits. The dam breaks here in the seventh. And I wrote down, bro, it's zero, zero. It's nothing, nothing. And then I wrote down, maybe he was right. But damn, this game could be four to zero. But instead, Rangers go up one, nothing. And but what I mean by four, zero was the Diamondbacks not hitting with runners in scoring position. Again, I don't know whether to fully blame them or just say they got Nate Eovaldi with runners on base. That was He was Sandy Koufax up there. He was Bob Gibson. He was all of the guys that you mentioned in the World Series MVP conversations. But the Rangers then take the lead. Another thing about Evan Carter, nine doubles. It's the most by a player in a single postseason ever. Sarah Langs. And then I wrote down, Roldis Chapman is in. This will be a tie game. <laughs> that's that's what I wrote down. Yeah, and it wasn't. And it wasn't. But the, then I wrote down, thank the Lord they took him out uh, for Walker. Yeah, he got, what, a second pitch line out from the first guy he saw. Was that Carroll yeah. that he saw first? You're talking about Chapman? Chapman. Don't really remember. Uh, it was Carroll. It was a second pitch line out from Corbin Carroll. And as soon as that happened with the second pitch, I was like, okay, he might be fine. If he went to 2-0 or 3-0 on Carroll, because obviously he started 1-0. That's just how Chapman operates. He looks so shitty. Again. <laughs> like he did. What are we talking about here? Just shitty again. Um, the, the fact that he got bailed out from Carroll, who was the best leadoff guy tonight. It was crazy to watch him set the table um, for the Diamondbacks to inevitably leave him on base. But with, with Chapman getting him right away, I thought that was really impressive from him, but also kind of a bailout. I love the move Spores to Walker. Also, did you see, wait, hold on. Did you see my Chapman tweet? I thought it was funny. No, was what'd you say? On YouTube. Oh, I love that. That's Perk holding the uh, NBA Finals trophy. Just didn't do shit. That's but, great. I mean, Chapman, like, his final stats on the World Series were fine. But if no, he had, a he had a 2-2-5 postseason ERA this year. Yeah, he, like, pitched well, but, like, every inning was horrible. You know who had an ERA under one this postseason? Josh Spores. Fucking Josh Spores had a .75 this postseason. Josh Spores went two and a third to end the fucking World Series. The biggest Bruce Bochy move ever. 
ever. Ride the hot hand. No, we ain't going to our closer. We so, got Josh Spores. Why would we? He's pitching well. I so, love Bruce Bochy. He's awesome. Something I love that's him. been actually pretty well documented with Leclerc this postseason is it takes Leclerc a hitter or two to really dial in. He will miss his spots a lot, the front two hitters. And when they made the move to Spores, and especially in the eighth, too, staying with Spores and not relying on Leclerc for a four or five out save, you know, you didn't have the wiggle room to have him feel his way through the first two hitters, Leclerc, if he came in. In the ninth, you did. Yeah. But Spores had thrown so well, and the pitch economy was there. He got through two and a third and 31 pitches. For a reliever, that's excellent. It's excellent. I mean, we're talking about guys with big nuts and Kevin Ginkle. Josh Spores, man. Unbelievable yeah, but, performance. But Ginkle looked sick, too. And he was in Walker's wedding. But Kevin Ginkle, I wrote down Corey Seager versus Kevin Ginkle, the greatest battle in World Series history, and it was a walk. Lame. But, of course, then he gets the ground. Then he gets the strikeout, then a ground out. He is my favorite player. I love Kevin Ginkle. I love Kevin Ginkle, dude. It's just fastballs and sliders, and you don't know which one is coming, and they just can't hit it. I actually, I swear to you, Jack, I was tuned the fuck in for Seager Ginkle. I thought that was the greatest one in the postseason. How could you not be? That was unbelievable. The radius of Jupiter? Sorry? What's the radius of Jupiter? 44,000 miles, I think. Nice. That makes a lot of sense for those two dudes. Nutsacks. Um, and then I wrote down Spores is the Rangers Ginkle. Perfect curveball to get out Paven Smith to strike him out. Perfect curveball. That was And the Arm, Arm was talking in the chat, too. Like, it makes sense that you're bringing in Paven Smith here. You know, the left-handed bat. But it's like these late-game pinch hitters. Like you're taking out Longo. I, I didn't. I think he was just trying to create a spark, trying to get a matchup in there, trying to get someone else in to hit. But I mean, I don't even think it would have mattered. Do you know what Longoria's postseason OPS was? Really bad. 455. Yeah. I don't blame Tori. I don't blame him either. I just. I was like, Paven Smith ain't getting a hit here either. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. That's just, yeah. that was where my immediate thoughts was. I mean, what, do, I mean, Paven Smith, he was hitting 333, right? I think he was three for nine, if I'm not mistaken. Ye, Paven Smith, yeah, it was three for nine. Yes, he was. No, he's three for nine, I think. Um, And I wrote my article, Rangers just know Seawald. They hit vert so well. They get on you quick, and instantly the score is 5-0. The Diamondbacks should have known when they were trading for Paul Seawald that they were going to face the Rangers in the World Series. The one mistake of the of the Diamondbacks front office was trading with the trading with the Mariners. Just kidding. They were amazing. You don't have anything to say to that? No. <laughs> okay. Um I just wrote down the most bochy move ever to leave Spores in there. Hot hand. He strikes out the guy who has been the hottest hitter in the postseason, Cattell Marte, to win the World Series. There are three teams in Major League history to win a World Series two years removed 
from losing 100 games. The 1914 Boston Braves, the 1969 Miracle Mets, and the 2023 Texas Rangers. World Series champions, Corey Seager, two-time. When you talk about Corey Seager, include two-time World Series MVP. Bruce Bochy etches his name as one of the greatest managers in the 150-year history of Major League Baseball. 63 years as a franchise, and they get their first ring, the Texas Rangers. They are crossed off the list of teams who have not won a World Series title. That list, Milwaukee Brewers, San Diego Padres, Seattle Mariners, Colorado Rockies, Tampa Bay Rays, and no longer the Texas Rangers. They're going to be good for a really long time. You like Evan Carter? You're going to love Wyatt Langford. They're going to be incredible, man. And this is the start of something really special with a group of guys that is not going to kind of run them broke. Um, the way you circumvent going broke as, as a team is winning a lot of games. And Padres didn't win a lot of games to tie a full circle this year. The Rangers won a ton of games. Spending money does work. Spending money on Seager and Semi and spending money on pitching. That worked as long as you spend it on the right guys. So your PSA to baseball fans, when your team spends money, don't immediately scream, bad deal. Why'd we give this guy this much money? There are always going to be bad deals. The Rangers have inked guys to bad deals. The Angels are the king of inking people to bad deals. This is just an unneeded angel stray for the for the yeah, few but Angels like, fans left in existence still but rooting they, for them. They are the hardest watch in baseball next year. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, I'll watch Oakland before the Angels next year. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Oakland will probably be a really tough watch next year. I'll watch the Trout highlights and that's it. Um, but man, like every team has those big money contracts to make you toss and turn at night. But the way you get to this point is by establishing a great organization when it comes to player development and player identification, um, instilling the right energy and professionalism in your clubhouse and by spending appropriately and by going to get the big fishes, big fish, plural, but fishes. Sure. Player development, player identification, Carter, Young, Heim, keep on going. Signing the big money guys, Seager, Semyon, DeGrom, even though he wasn't a big part of this, Eovaldi, um, and instilling the right energy in your clubhouse, Bruce freaking Bochi. Christian gets it, uh, kind of tying back to the first thing I said about him. This is the perfect poster boy of how to work a season in the right way. And I thought the Rangers were pretty damn near perfect this year and how they went about the 2023 season. Two players I'm really happy to see get rings. Jonah Heim, Nathaniel Lowe, guys who have been there for a couple of years, experienced yeah. the downs, and this was the ultimate up. And just so happy to see Marcus Semien get a ring. I mean, he turned into one of my favorite players this entire season. 
love the way he works at bats, love the way he leads off the game, is just a ball player to his core and has been on a lot of bad teams, gets the big contract, is finally recognized for the great player that he is. And he was the one to hit that home run to make it 5-0. And you could see the emotion, right? It felt like there was steam coming out of his ears. Just unbelievable. So happy to see them win it. Congrats, Texas Rangers. Smiling ear to ear because this was an awesome season. There was so many ups and downs in the regular season. Jacob DeGrom goes down. He was supposed to be the number one on this team. You trade for Max Scherzer. He was supposed to be the anchor at the top of the rotation. But this team won with Nathan Eovaldi, Jordan Montgomery, Andrew Heaney, and for all the people like us who are worried about the Rangers' bullpen, they stepped up. This was as good of a team as you're going to find. And, you know, it's so funny, too, with the Astros being as great as they are. In the last five World Series, this is the fourth one that's featured a team from Texas. The state of Texas kind of owns baseball right now. I'm fine with that, man. Lone Star gives me an excuse to go to Austin, get some barbecue, and I think it's called Round Rock Donuts, the huge donut. Shout out Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, too. Shout out the Mets. You got two World Series champs. (laughs) And you know what this kind of did for me? And tell me if you think this is a bad take or not. It's not going to be a bad take, but just tell me if it is. It's not going to be, though. Dude, this take sucks. (laughs) The Rangers and Astros are the greatest rivalry in Major League Baseball right now. How are they not? I I can't. The com- throwing at each other, the suspensions. They're two of the best teams in baseball, right? Rangers Astros went seven. Rangers D-backs went five. The D-backs swept the Brewers. They swept the Dodgers. They beat the Phillies. And then the Rangers steamroll them. How is this not the best rivalry in Major League Baseball? I like, think- it ain't Yankees Red Sox. No. I, mean, I wouldn't even it say is. it's Dodgers Padres. I wouldn't say it's Cardinals Cubs. You could make the argument it's Braves Phillies. But hey, Braves Phillies, these two teams have not made the World Series in four of the last five years. Like the Phillies don't have a title. The Braves have won in the last couple of years. The Astros have multiple and the Rangers just won one. This is the greatest rivalry in baseball. So... I, I hear you on it. I think in terms of like talent, this is probably the best, like most exciting, fun rivalry matchup that we can watch. But if I'm going to tune into one matchup of two teams for a rivalry type energy, White Sox Royals. Yeah. Bingo. Um, I'm tuning into Dodgers Padres because I think there's a bit more hate there. And it's more star-studded. I think there's a lot of anger. And yes, Brian Abreu, yada, I, I get it. But I think that there's a lot of hate between the the great players on the Dodgers and the great players on the Padres. While there might be a little less hate, the Rangers and Astros are two clearly better teams. Like, <laughs> they're, they just are. I don't know, man. The Dodgers win 100 games every year. Did and the Rangers or Astros win 100 games this year? 
we're talking about winning games in the regular season when these two when the Rangers just won the World Series and the Astros have been in it. There's like some recency, but I think there's some like recency. Pod- should we talk about the Padres not winning any games ever? No, they're in debt. They're broke. Yeah. So what are we talking about here? So I'm on the side of the road the other day. <laughs> just Preller. I, I, saw Preller. I saw Preller with a big gold cup. He was asking for $2. <laughs> We're going to talk about all of these stories and more in the offseason. Shout out Jack McMullen. Jack McMullen created a Google spreadsheet that has every episode listed for the rest of the year. And by rest of the year, I mean the offseason, because of course we're back to our five days a week schedule come April 1st, and probably earlier than that, because we got to do so many previews, playing general manager, awards, top tens, rumor mill, winner meetings, everything here on the Just Baseball Show. I hope everybody enjoyed coming along the ride with us this season. If you just joined this season, we love you, and we hope you'll continue staying on when we continue to push out episodes. A lot of baseball podcasts, They take some time off. Not the boys here. Fuck that. This is way too much fun. Should we do once a week? Maybe just a couple, three to four times a week. And that's that's the off season for us. We ain't stopping. So if you're a baseball fan, stay tuned. For everybody who's been with us since Project the Plate, since 2022, hasn't this been awesome? Isn't baseball the best? We enjoy you coming to listen to us every day. Cannot thank you guys enough. Jackie, got anything? Um, no, not much. Obviously, massive thank you to you guys. We are yeah, so we start like our off-season content plan on Monday, November 6th. So sleep in a little bit. We'll, you know, chill. This is our World Series recap. This is the Thursday and the Friday episode. Um, but coming Monday, we've got a postseason recap and main takeaways on November 6th. And uh, on this Google Sheet, it takes us through opening day recap on March 29th. So we've got a plan. And three days a week, we're going to bring you some baseball conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. Hopefully everybody enjoyed. And if you have been enjoying, we really, really appreciate it. If you could leave five stars and a written review, possibly an Apple podcast or just a five star review on Spotify or wherever. You listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed all the content on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. We're going to be pushing out new YouTube content, right? Not just the podcast episodes. Arm has big plans. I'm going to redo my top 100. We're going to go over all that stuff. So we're going to be making some standalone videos. So make sure you stay tuned on the YouTube page. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button. And please comment video ideas. If you're this late into the show, First of all, I really appreciate you. Second of all, leave content ideas in the comments. I'm going to read them and I'm going to respond. And I really want our people who have been with us a long time to tell us what they want to hear. So leave that in the YouTube comments of this episode. We got mailbags coming. We got so many things coming over here at Just Baseball. And in the meantime, get yourself some Just Baseball merch, right, Jack? Yeah, I saw a couple of comments that said they want you to do kind of like what you've been doing, but just without a shirt on. You go with mm. that? Oh, yeah. I've just been waiting for one person to say that so I could finally do it. 
Yeah, I've got a bunch, but they're they're <laughs> DMs. They're like, hey, can you get Peter to take his shirt off? I'm like, that's kind of a weird ask. Why don't you? Just DMing you about me. All right, yeah. let's get past all that. Um, we really, really appreciate it again. Get yourself some Just Baseball merch. All of this is brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks, and that's BetMGM. One last congratulations to the Texas Rangers, your 2023 World Series champions. And with that, the 2023 season is over. Thank you, everybody.